Thank you, Dan. It's my pleasure to be here tonight. I see so many friends and people I've known for many years. What a blessing to be here together. It's exciting to uh, see Christians gather together each Lord's Day, both morning and night, to not only share and study of God's Word, but also just to enjoy being together and to look forward to fellowshipping when this is done. I want to thank the elders for the invitation to be here. And I see so many friends here, I couldn't start naming them. So uh, I'll just say it's good to see you all. Uh, some of you may not know, Houston and Beverly Bynum are my in-laws. Uh, I married their daughter, Angela. And so uh, I'm Houston's favorite son-in-law. Go ahead, you can ask him. <laughs> and uh, uh, Zeke's uncle here, and my wife, Angela, and Abby and Levi, they're sitting over here. My oldest, Luke, is at Short Mountain Bible Camp, as many of your teenagers are. And so he's ready to have fun. But uh, what Brother Dan said is correct. I'm at the Allen's Church of Christ. And I invite you to come up there anytime you can. Maybe you're on Dale Hollow or maybe you've got a cabin up there. We just have a wonderful time worshiping God. And we have a lot of, a lot of connections. You know, Allen's is the home congregation of Jenna Medley. And it's also the home congregation of Robert Brady and Blair Hill and probably several others. So... We keep growing them up and sending them your way, and you, keep, you keep, uh, keep them straight from then on, okay? Go ahead and open your Bibles tonight to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is where we will begin. But I want to start with a question tonight. What does this world need? When I talked to Brother Don a few months ago and we talked about what these lessons were going to look like over the course of the summer, he had really given a lot of uh, leeway to the speakers to choose what they would like to preach on. And he told me what some other fellows were doing. And I started thinking, what, what do we need to talk about? You know, there's a lot of things we can study. There's a lot of things in Scripture that are recorded. And every one of them is for our benefit. But what does this world need right now? And it reminded me of an old song. Back in 1965, Hal David and Burt Bacharach put together this song, What the World Needs Now is What? Love, sweet love. If you knew that, you're old. <laughs> you, did you know that? And, and I know those lyrics because I remember hearing them. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. And you know, I believe that's right. When you turn on the news today, you're going to see a lot of bad news. You know, the news media for years has said, if it bleeds, it leads. And so every time you turn on the news, you're going to hear about another murder. You're going to hear about another suicide. You're going to hear about these terrible things that have happened. And it really can be depressing. In fact, psychologists have actually recommended to their patients, if you're experiencing depression because of what's happening in the world, maybe you need to watch the news a little less and you need to get outside a little more. Of course, I think there's another remedy, and that's to read the Bible. Because the Bible has good news. The Bible tells us, even though there's things that are wrong in the world, and by the way, there was 2,000 years ago when the book of John was written, there's still a lot of good that we can focus on. And especially tonight, we want to focus on this idea 
of loving one another. Love one another. Some people say, well, buddy, that just sounds too too simplistic for today's world. It doesn't, it's just not practical. But I would argue to the contrary, that nothing is more urgent, nothing is more needed, nothing will solve more problems in this world today than those three simple words, love one another. I want you to go back with me in your minds to the time of Jesus. You know that he was born in the city of Bethlehem. He was raised the son of a carpenter. Joseph and Mary were his earthly parents. And he lived for 30 years in pretty much obscurity. But from age 30 to 33, he spent three years in ministry doing what his heavenly father had sent him here to do, and it changed the world. And even when he knew he was in danger because of what he was preaching, because of what he was teaching, he kept going forward Because the message that he had was the message that this world needed to hear, and it literally turned the world upside down. And so as we approach what we're reading in Scripture tonight, John chapter 13, understand that it's the last week of Jesus' life. By the way, the book of John chapters 13 to 20 cover the last few days of Jesus' earthly life before the crucifixion. John tells us a lot that happened then that the other three Gospels don't tell us. And in John chapter 13, you'll remember that Jesus washes the disciples' feet and teaches them that unforgettable lesson about how to serve others. And then he says to them, if you open your Bible, in John 13 and 33, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer, and you will seek me, as I said to the Jews, But where I am going, you cannot come. He said, I'm not going to be here forever. In fact, I'm only going to be with you for just a short time. And of all the things that Jesus could have talked to them about, of all the messages that he needed to convey, the thing that he wanted them to remember most is recorded here in verses 34 and 35. He said, a new commandment. I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's spend a few minutes talking about what that means. First of all, he says this is a new command. And that may surprise you because if you've read your Bible, you know the command to love is found in the Old Testament as well. We know that the Bible teaches that we should love God, love our neighbor. We're going to look at that in just a few minutes. So how is this command new? I believe it's new because Jesus tells them it goes beyond what they had traditionally practiced. You see, in the Jewish religion, they were taught to love those who were Jews, but to really hate those who were Gentiles. If you read your Bible, you're going to see that The Jews loved each other, but they only tolerated the Gentiles, and they really hated the Samaritans. Have you ever seen that in Scripture? But what Jesus is telling them is, I don't care what background they come from, I don't care what color their skin is, I don't care whether they're rich or poor, whether they're from your people or not, we're going to love everybody. And that was new. 
But he goes further. He says, as I have loved you, to that degree I want you to love one another. Now, what's he talking about there? I remember when I was younger, I thought it was talking about the crucifixion. That he loved them so much that he went to sacrifice his life on the cross. But you know, the crucifixion hasn't happened yet. He's using the past tense. He's talking about something that's already happened. I think he's talking about the incarnation. He left heaven, came to earth, spent 33 years with them. It was a sacrifice. He could have been in heaven all that time, experiencing joy and no pain, but he loved them so much, he left heaven and came to earth and lived a life of pain and suffering so that he might convey to them the message by which they would be saved. But then he says, and I want you to really remember this, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I really think that's important for us to get tonight. There's a lot of things that we practice as New Testament Christians. And I've been a blessed to be a part of uh, my family, my mom and my dad. My dad, Aubrey, preaches at the Old Hickory Church of Christ. Taught me the Word of God when I was young. My mother did as well. And I'm very thankful that we are a Bible-believing family. And you are too if you're here at Willow Avenue. This is a Bible-believing church. I commend you for the way in which you follow Scripture closely. This is a sound church. If somebody was asking me who teaches sound doctrine in Cookville, Tennessee, I'd be glad to say, well, Willow Avenue among many others. But he doesn't say... By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have all the right answers. Now, having the right answers is important. We don't want to lead anybody astray. We don't want to give them false answers or preach false doctrine. We want to preach true doctrine and sound doctrine. But you know how they're going to know that you're a disciple? By the way you love people. And we need to preach that message more. Of course, this builds on the question that Jesus was asked back in uh, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, someone asked Jesus, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And his answer was what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law hangs on those two commandments. There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament law. How do you choose which one's more important? Well, Jesus made it simple for us. Loving God and loving others. Deuteronomy 6 tells us to love God. And by the way, do you practice that? Do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Or do you just love Him on Sundays? Do you just love Him when you're around other Christians? we got to love Him every day. But secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Where did that come from? Leviticus 19 and verse 18, right? You see, here's what we like to do. We like to say, okay, love God. There's one God. We know we got to love Him. Okay, 
Love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? By the way, they asked that 2,000 years ago. Because we want to define it. There's no way we have to love everybody. Surely not. So let's define who my neighbor is so I know who I have to love. But then I don't have to love others who are outside of that circle. See, when Jesus was asked that question, well, who is my neighbor? The guy was trying to determine how wide do we have to draw that circle of love. And Jesus said, this wide. Your neighbor is anybody who's in need. Love God. Love others. If you were to ask me, what do you preach and teach at the Allen's Church of Christ? I would tell you. Matthew 22, we love God and we love others. If somebody who never had been to a church of Christ before in their entire life asked me, what do y'all teach at the church of Christ? I would say Matthew 22, we love God and we love others. Now there's a lot more that goes with that, but that's really, that's really the heart of what we teach and what we preach, or at least it should be. And you know how you can tell if you're in love with somebody? How much time you want to spend with them? Think about when you were back in high school. How many of you went to Cookville High School or whatever it was called back then? Any, any Cookville High graduates? Okay. How many of you went to Baxter or Upperman? Do we have any Monterey folks here? Hey, all right, there's Reed, yeah. Oh, there's another one. So wherever you went to high school, I want you to picture in your mind what high school was like. For me, you know, it was kind of like Luke Bryan's song, hunting and fishing and loving every day. You know, you just spent time with the guys. And at my high school, we played ball and we fished. I mean, that's the two things that we really did a lot. And, and, and us guys, we spent a lot of time together. We spent almost every day together. But I'll never forget the day when we were going to get together and play ball. And all of a sudden, one of the guys didn't show up. And he'd never not been there before. And I said, well, what in the world? Anybody know where he is? No, I don't know where he is. Now, for you young people here tonight, there were no cell phones back then. You couldn't text them. You couldn't snap them. There was no way to hear from them. We didn't know where he was. Guess where he was? He was with a girl. He had found a girlfriend. And all of a sudden, that changed his world. He didn't have time to play ball anymore. He didn't have time to fish. Why? Because he was in love. And he wanted to spend every waking moment with this girl. And we did not understand. Until we found a girl. And then we completely understood. My point is this. I can tell how much you love God by how much time you want to spend with Him. How much time you want to spend with Him in worship. How much time you want to spend with them in Bible study? How much time you want to spend with them in prayer? When you love somebody, you want to spend time together. How much time are you spending with the Lord? You say, well, buddy, I got to work. I know you do. You got to provide for your family, but what do you do in your time off? What do you do on your way to work? What do you do on your way home? What do you do in the evening? Maybe after the wife and kids have gone to bed. The Bible says we need to love God. And yes, that can be measured by how much time we spend with Him. But 
I want to follow through the New Testament. I want you to see that this teaching of Jesus didn't stop with him. I want you to see how many times we see this in the New Testament. Let's go to the next slide. Paul wrote in Romans 13 in verses 8 through 10, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Another translation says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continual debt to love one another. You have an obligation. I have a responsibility, and that is to love others. And that obligation will last as long as you and I live. Paul was writing to this church at Rome. Had he ever been to Rome when he wrote this letter? He hadn't been there yet. He was hoping to launch his next mission from Rome, and so he's writing this letter to explain who he is and what he teaches, and that's why it's so rich in its doctrine and theological content. He's really trying to convey to these people, some of whom may have known him in other places, but he's never actually been to Rome yet to the worship of that church, and he says, this is who I am, and this is what I teach. And part of that is loving one another. But he didn't just write that to the church at Rome. Look at the next slide. Galatians 5 and 14. For all of the law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know that's more than one word, but he, he meant one phrase, one sentence. Paul writes to the church at Galatia. He says, if you really want to understand the entire... Uh, corpus of the law. It's summarized in this one idea. Love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, we're assuming that you know how to love yourself. But it looks like you do. You take care of yourself. You feed yourself. You clothe yourself. Let me tell you who really loves himself. That's my son, Luke. 17 years old, as smart as he's ever been, as strong as he's ever been, flexing in the mirror, taking pictures. I mean, Alan. (laughs) He knows Luke. But we need to love our neighbor just as much as we love ourselves. If we're hungry, we provide food for ourselves. You do that for your neighbor? If your neighbor doesn't have a warm jacket in the wintertime, you're going to get yourself one. How about them? If your neighbor needs a ride to a doctor to work, are you going to help them? I hope so. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 and 10. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. He says, But concerning brotherly love, I have no need that I should write to you, but you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. He says, You already know that's the teaching. But I want you to understand, we're going to emphasize it again, and it should build. In other words, it should be more this year than last year. And it should be more next year than this year. You should be growing in brotherly love every day of your life. That's why I admire so many of you older Christians who are here today. You senior saints who have blazed the trail of faithfulness but also of love and have shown us who are growing up and still maturing what it looks like to love others even when they hurt you or even when they say false things against you. I appreciate your example and your actions speak so forcefully 
Let's go to the next slide. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 18. By this we know love, because Jesus laid down His life for us. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You want to know how much you love somebody? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. It's one thing to form the words and make the sound come out of your mouth. It's another thing to lay down your life for them. The world has enough people who talk about love. I love you, you love me. But when hardship comes, when persecution comes, is that love still evident? First John 4.11, dear friends, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. When we truly grasp what God did in sending His Son for us, His monogenes Son, His only begotten Son, when we understand that level of sacrifice, when we understand that Jesus willingly died on the cross, and yes, He could have called 10,000 angels and been set free from that pain and suffering. But he endured it because he loves you, because he loves me. And he was thinking about us. He was thinking about the people then, but even the people yet unborn, as he made that ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. If God's done that much for us, and Jesus died for us, surely, surely we can love one another. Does that change our world today? It should. I really believe all the problems in the world today could be solved by these commands. I believe it could bring America and Russia together. I believe it could bring Republicans and Democrats together. I believe it could bring the rich and poor together. I believe it could bring different people of different races together. I really think this fundamental doctrine that Jesus is teaching can unite the world. Do you believe that? I think it can bring churches together too. Charles Hodge, famous preacher uh, of the 20th century in our brotherhood, said, most congregations all basically say and do the same things, but some grow and others die. And what's the difference? He said, the difference is love. Some congregations love each other and some do not. And without love, churches die. If you want to see Willow Avenue explode in growth, it starts right here with loving one another. If you want to see these seats filled beyond capacity to where you've got to expand out into the parking lot, it's going to happen if and only if you love one another. Go to the next slide. You've seen this before, John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He what? He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world might be saved. That's how much God loves you. And that's the love that we need to reflect in our community. And you know what? They did it in the first century. Look at the next slide. I want you to see this. 
You ever heard of a guy called Tertullian? Tertullian was a writer in the uh, late first century and early second century, and Tertullian was recording the words of the heathens in his community. Those are people that didn't practice faith. They, they weren't Christians. But you know what they would say? Even though they didn't believe what the Christians were teaching, they would say, see how these Christians love one another? They were in awe of what was happening in their city and in their world. And there was something that set these Christians apart. And it wasn't their belief system at first that these heathens noticed. It was how they loved one another. They said they love each other so much they'll even die for one another. There's another writer by the name of Minucius Felix. And he said, these Christians love each other before they even know each other. And I think that's still true today. If you or I were to go on vacation and we were to look for a, a church to worship with, as I recommend you do, you'll walk in the door and immediately you'll be greeted by brothers and sisters who are going to love you and you're going to love them even though you've never quite met before because you have this common bond in Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's exactly how God designed it to be. And when that exists in your church, you're going to attract people near and far. Many years ago, there was a shabbily dressed boy who walked several miles through the snowy streets of Chicago. And he was determined to attend a Bible class that was conducted by Dwight L. Moody. And when the little boy arrived, he was asked by Moody, Why did you come to a Sunday school so far away? There's many churches between here and your home. Why didn't you go to one of them? And you know what the little boy said? He said, I wanted to come here because you love people here. He didn't grasp the finer teachings of New Testament Christianity. He didn't know everything that the letters taught. But you know what he did know? He did know in a cold and dark world, there was one place he could go where he would feel loved. And I hope that's true here. I pray it is, because that's how we're going to impact our community. And by the way, in case you're wondering what that love looks like, turn quickly over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want you to see what Paul says to the church at Corinth, because we've read where he's talked to four or five different churches. Here's what he wrote to Corinth. He said, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Now, you've read that before. Sometimes you hear it in weddings, and I think it can be used in weddings, but I also want you to understand the original context was not weddings at all. What Paul's talking about is, this is the kind of love we need to have in church. That's why he wrote these words. We need to be patient with one another. We need to be kind to one another, not envious of one another, not puffed up, 
We don't need to be rude to one another. We need to rejoice in truth and not sin. Believing all things, enduring all things, but never ever failing to love one another. I tell you what, that's powerful. That'll change your life. That'll change your church when you really practice these things. And when you tell each other, as you look each other in the eye, not only am I going to give you the benefit of the doubt, not only am I going to choose to trust you, but I'm going to love you to that extent, then, then you're practicing that royal law. Brothers and sisters, we don't have time tonight to read every single teaching on the subject of love in the Bible. The word love is mentioned 551 times in Scripture, old and new. And yes, it's in the Old Testament as well as in the New. But I want you to know this. I want you to know as you leave here tonight that you have a Heavenly Father who loves you. This is Father's Day, and for some people that's a day of fun, a day of excitement. I've got my Father's Day socks on, okay? So, so, so it's a good day for you if you had a good father. I recognize for other people it's a day that they'd rather not celebrate because maybe they didn't have a good father. Maybe this day brings memories of pain and, and, and abuse, and if that's you, I'm so sorry. But I want you to know even if that was your experience, you have a heavenly father who loves you. So much. And I can't wait until you get to meet him when you go to heaven. I also realize there are those who've lost fathers during the past year. And just bringing up the idea of Father's Day brings tears to your eyes. And I want you to know that father's a Christian. You'll see him again. But in the meantime, you can talk to your heavenly father. And you can tell him whatever's on your mind, and he can't wait to hear. He loves you with an all-surpassing love. The word is agape, agapao, unconditional love. That means you may make choices that disappoint him from time to time, but he's never going to stop loving you. You may do some things that he'd rather you do differently, but he's always going to love you. There's no sin you can commit that will remove his love from you because he's going to love you all the days of your life. And you need to know that. And knowing that really should impact the way we talk and the way we live. I want to close with one of my favorite illustrations of love. It's the story of the ant and the grasshopper. Have you ever read Aesop's fables? Have you ever heard of the story of the ant and the grasshopper? Well, there was a, a mother of a nine-year-old boy named Mark who received a phone call in the middle of the afternoon, and it was from her son's teacher there at the school. Now, how many of you have elementary-age children? Anybody? Okay, I see a few over here. Remember when you did have elementary school children, were you excited if you got a phone call from the teacher in the middle of the day? That was kind of scary, wasn't it? Either they were sick or they were in trouble and you didn't know to say what's wrong or what do you do now? Well, this teacher calls and she says, Mrs. Smith, something unusual today happened in 
our classroom in your son's third grade class. And your son did something that surprised me so much that I thought you should know about it immediately. Well, the mother wondered, what in the world did he do? And the teacher said, for many years I've taught this story, but nothing like this has ever happened until now. I was teaching a lesson on creative writing, and as I always do, I tell the story of the ant and the grasshopper. And the ant works hard all summer and stores up plenty of food, but the grasshopper plays all summer and does no work. And then winter comes, and the grasshopper begins to starve because he has no food. And so he hops over to the ant's house and he begins to beg, please, Mr. Ant, you have so much food. Please let me eat too. And then she says, now, boys and girls, it's your job to write the ending to the story. Well, the papers came in. And as in all the years past, most of the students said that the ant shared his food through the winter and both the ant and the grasshopper lived. And that's a nice ending. And as always, a few children said, the ant said, no, Mr. Grasshopper, you should have worked hard in the summer and not played. Now I have just enough food for myself. So the ant lived and the grasshopper died. But the teacher said, your son ended the story in a different way from any other child ever. He wrote, so the ant gave all of his food to the grasshopper and the grasshopper lived through the winter, but the ant died. And the little boy had drawn a picture at the bottom of the page. In the picture at the bottom of the page, he had drawn three crosses. And he wrote these words. He gave everything to us so that we might live, but Jesus died. Wow. That little boy got it. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He didn't just give a little bit. He didn't just share what he had. He gave everything, everything for you and me. That's how much he loves you. And that's what allows us to give everything to others. Not just a little bit, not just share. To give everything that they need, even at our own expense. Brothers and sisters, our time is up. And as this lesson draws to the close, I just want to simply say to you, this message will change your life. It'll change your family's life. It'll change the church's life. And the older you get, the more you're going to understand the importance of this teaching. Back in the 1990s, I attended David Lipscomb College or Lipscomb University. Some of you may have attended there as well. Anybody go there to school? All right, me and me alone, okay. The school is named for David Lipscomb, who was a well-known preacher in our brotherhood. He never preached at a large fancy church. He was just a farmer who preached at little churches all around, usually no more than 10, 12, 20 people but he converted thousands of people through his simple New Testament teaching. And he gave his land, he gave his farm to be a college to educate young people, uh, not just in Scripture, also in mathematics and English and so forth, but he wanted them to have a daily teaching. And that farm is what we call Green Hills in Tennessee, okay? Any of you ever been to Green Hills and been shopping over there? Go out to eat? 
So he gives his farm, and he has his house on that farm, and he says to the students who are there, and Lipscomb is older in years, and he's going blind, but he would shout to the students as they would pass his house, love one another. I mean, think about that. This older man who could no longer see, who had worked as long as he could work, and now he doesn't have any time, uh, much time left. He doesn't have the ability to work, but you know what he can do? He can speak to those who pass by. And he says, love one another. Lewis and Pat, y'all got a daughter over there, don't you? Miss Susan. I'm saying this, it changed his life. And it changed the lives of those students who heard it, and it'll change your life. I want you to practice this this week. I want you to love one another. I want you to make that a fundamental teaching of this church. I'm sure it is already, but I just want you to increase in it more and more. Because let me tell you something. We need to love each other in such a way that when people in this community who don't even know the Lord... When people in this community think of the Willow Avenue Church, they're going to say, those are the people that love each other. And they love everybody that walks in that door. People can feel whether or not you love them. And I hope tonight you feel loved, because you are. Your Father in Heaven loves you. Jesus loves you. Your elders here, they love you. I'm sure you built close friends here as well. Brothers and sisters, this is one of the fundamental teachings of the New Testament. And we need to live it, and we need to practice it till God calls us home. I'm excited to see how you live this out. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, having lived in this community for 20 years, and having known so many of you, Not only are we friends, but I know that you genuinely love me and my family. And I love you. And we're going to encourage each other as long as we live in this world. And when the time comes for the Lord to call us home, we're going to enjoy living together forever in heaven. It's going to be great. I want you to be there. But you're only going to be there if you give your life to Christ in baptism. And so we extend the Lord's invitation that if you're ready to repent of your sins and confess your belief that Jesus Christ is God, Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, then you can be baptized tonight having those sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb. There's not a better feeling in the world than to have all those sins washed away. I want you to know that peace, that joy. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Maybe you've not been as loving as you should have been. Maybe there's some people that you need to... Uh, make things right with. We'll help you do that tonight. If you have any spiritual need, please come now as we stand and sing.